Proverbs 15, verse number 19. Proverbs 15, 19. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We thank you this morning, O God, for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. We thank you, O God, that we're two or three are gathered together. There you'll be in the midst, and we pray that you would be in our midst this morning. Uh, Lead us, guide us, God, inspire us, move us, Lord, in the direction you want us to go. Forgive us of our sins. Have mercy on us, O God, and we'll thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. All right, verse 19, let's read. The way of the slothful man is as an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. The way of life is above to the wise that he may depart from hell beneath. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the the words of the pure are pleasant words. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. All right, a good set of verses there. Let's go back to verse 19. The way of the slothful man. Now, the slothful, a lot of people get a kick out of watching the sloth, how slow he moves. But the Lord doesn't get a kick out of it. Amen. The slothful, that means he's lazy. He's he's apt to rest more than he's apt to do any labor. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I know what it's like to... Uh, take a shotgun, head out through the woods, and instead of taking the clearly marked paths, get off the beaten path and run through a briar patch or two. And from time to time, uh, that has to be done, but uh, you could take the easy uh, take the easy way out and just stay home, but that would kind of be soft in, in and of itself, wouldn't it? But he says, the way of the slothful man is as a hedge of thorns. You think you're getting it easy by doing nothing, but that's not the way it turns out. And you can run through a briar patch and get uh, cuts and scrapes and all sorts of things like that. And then the next couple of days, you'll still be finding thorns in your legs and thorns in your hands. And you'll be digging them out for the next month. It doesn't just... Uh, being lazy is bad, but it's not just bad for now. It's bad for later. And that's the way that this verse is trying to give you a picture of a slothful man. It's, uh, it's difficult. It's just like the Bible says, the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the slothful man is hard, but it, just, it, it, didn't, it isn't just hard for right now. It has consequences. Uh, laziness, doing nothing now, produces nothing now. 
and it produces nothing tomorrow, the next day. It produces nothing. You do some labor today, it'll produce something today. And number one, it'll make you tired. <laughs> Lay down and go to sleep, amen. Uh, but at the same time, it'll produce tomorrow, it'll produce the day after that. The Bible says in all labor there is profit. And the Bible says the way of a slothful man is as a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. That labor clears out a path before you that makes things less complicated, less difficult. There is plenty of difficulty in life because of the fact that we're fallen men. We live in a cursed world. But the best way is the way of principle. And those are the principles your mama was trying to get across to you, your daddy was trying to get across to you when he said, get up and do some work and get some things accomplished. And that's the way it should be. Amen. A wise son maketh a glad father. Those verses are connected. They have different thoughts. They have divergent thoughts, but they also have thoughts that go together very well. A wise son, you can be a slothful son or you can be a wise son. A wise son maketh a glad father. But a foolish man despiseth his mother. Now the conflict that's between father and sons ought to be uh, an indication of, of uh, how you're living or how you're progressing. If you're a boy, if you're a, a young lady, if you're a young man, you always getting fussed at or, you know, kids got it rough. Well, they're always fussing me. Well, do better. Sure. Do better. Your goal as a child is much the same as the goal of a Christian, that is to please your father. Uh, it, most, most young people have made it their goal to please the other idiot 12-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 16-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 21-year-olds. Your goal is not to please some other 20-year-old or some other 15-year-old. That's not your goal. Any idiot could do that. I mean, Power Rangers, please, your 12-year-old friends. Dora the Explorer <coughs> impresses your friends. The thing you ought to be glad to do is to impress your father. Make a glad father. The Bible says a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. And I saw that word despise, and I thought about, I've been reading through the life of Abraham here lately, and I noticed that Jacob and Esau, while they're uh, going about their life, Esau decided he was hungry and he wanted Jacob to feed him. You get in trouble when you let somebody else feed you, amen? And the borrower is servant to the lender. Well, Esau comes to Jacob and says, hey, I, feed me of your pottage. And Jacob said, what do you give me for? And he said, well, I got this birthright. And I, uh, he said, I, uh, what good is this birthright going to do me if I'm dead? I got to thinking about that, man. What, why was Esau in such a state of mind? You don't have to read much further than that to find out that, Jacob was, uh, that uh, Esau was a great hunter and that he was used to hunting. And his father knew that he was used to hunting, so he wasn't a man that was lazy or he wasn't a man that, was, that couldn't produce. And I don't know how he got in such a case that he's begging uh, for a bowl of beans at the point of his life. He said, I'm going to die. <laughs> and so he said he sold Jacob his birthright, and he said, thus Esau despised his birthright. You, you don't see any indication of it in his life. You don't see any 
uh, indication that he, at that point, you don't see any, any indication that there's problems between him and his father or between him and his mother, but there was there is a despising element there. There is an element of, that he despises his birthright. He doesn't, of course, you think everybody understands the definition of despise, but here in this same case, he said, a foolish man despiseth his mother. I would say Esau was was a foolish man. Would you? Well, can't, I, I look back at that. I, I, I clearly see that there's some animosity between Esau and his mother. I don't know what that's all about. don't know how to go into all that. I'm not going to try to be a psychologist because then I'd be way off base. But a foolish man, he says here, despises his mother. The Bible says uh, that Esau, excuse me, that Isaac loved Esau, but his mother loved Jacob. And that was a very interesting uh, thing there. But he despised his birthright. Here it says a foolish man despises his mother. And you say, well, I love my mother. I suppose if you ask Esau if he loved his mother, he'd probably say that he did too. And if you probably ask uh, Esau about his father, of course, that's where his birthright come from. He'd probably, I mean, when Esau come in and begged his father for a blessing, it sounded to me like he loved his father. Hey, well, uh, bless me too. It sounded like he wanted a blessing from his father. And so it doesn't look to me like he would be a man that despised his birthright. Birthright come from his father. But here it, the Bible says a, that a foolish man despiseth his mother. There has to be some correlation there between a father and a son's relationship, a mother and a son's relationship. And if there's a place there where a son can't follow the direction of his father, or a son can't follow the direction of his mother and won't do the right thing, the boy hates his mother, much the same as a mother and father that won't correct their son hates their son. There, there's, no, there's technically no difference between the word hate and the word despise. None that I can discern, none that I can see, none that, I, none that would cause me to take back the statement that I just made. If you're not going to correct the son, you don't love him. If you're not going to listen to your father, you don't love them. You say, well, I love them. You might love to eat their food. You might love to sleep in a bed under a roof instead of out in the grass where you'd be if, you, if it wasn't for your father and mother. But just as the Bible says that uh, you, you can't love God who you have not seen if you don't love your brother who you have seen, and that same vein and that same, that same kind of thought um, induces me to say that a son that can't get along with his father that feeds him and pays for his clothes and all these things, just there's no love there. And a father that won't look out for the protection of his son's future by making him do the right thing, whether he likes it or not, doesn't love him, doesn't have any affection for him whatsoever. Amen. That usually manifests, that usually manifests in, in, I don't know what the best word is for it, but it goes both ways, the father for the son and the son for the father. But it usually comes out in, in uh, bitterness or it comes out in, in this idea that, uh, and of course it's never expressed like this, but it's expressed by the actions. I, I'd be better off if I didn't have you. That's, I'm talking about the father toward the son and the son toward the father. This is just a waste of my time. 
you know, you, back in the 70s and I suppose for all time, I, I don't think there's probably any difference in uh, the 70s and the 1970s, that is. I don't suppose there's any different in that in the first week that Adam was out of the garden. Sin is sin and the effects of it and human nature has always been the same. But at any rate, you've got, you know, I can remember parents saying, hey, get out and play. You And the idea was you're bothering me. Get out from under my feet. Get off somewhere else and do something else. And that's okay if you're trying to build a cabinet or, or get something productive done and people, but you, you want them to get out of your hair so you can watch the days of our lives or I love Lucy. You've got yourself a problem. Amen. Amen? And when you try to, you try to, Correct the child after that, or you try, you expect him to toe the line for you after that. You're fighting, losing battle. That ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. Amen. Uh, children are not going to obey, obey somebody they don't respect. You said they will for a while. Yeah, out of fear of getting a whooping, they might. But the, the older they get, the less they're going to show their respect for you. And you'll wonder why that is. It ain't because they're a stupid kid. It's because they don't respect you. <laughs> you say, well, how they turn out like they do, they're trained incorrectly. Well, I've done everything right and they're still not right. No, 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 no. You haven't done everything right. I don't know anybody who's done everything right in raising their kids. Amen. You say, well, this is pretty harsh. Well, that's what the book of Proverbs is. It's harsh. And you've got everything in the world from way off base to pretty close. I mean, that's the, that's the scheme of things when you're talking about wisdom across the board in any subject, not just child rearing, but in any subject. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I hope that's understandable. But you have some folks that are uh, a mile off and you've got people that are a million miles off but the fact of the matter is you're still off and that's you know if you if you if somebody hits a fly ball and you get them out halfway between first and second it's the same as if you got them out an inch from the plate doesn't make any difference you're out and that's what the book of proverbs is all about man is out of whack and these things are you said some of these principles are pretty harsh. You're talking about uh, man don't love his kid if he, God said that. Man didn't love his child if he didn't correct him. And in, 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 in that sense and along those lines, every man in this room that has a child don't love a child as they ought to be loved. Even if you love them to some degree, amen. I'm not saying, nobody's saying don't love them at all, but there's, there's, uh, plenty of, of a mixture going on there. I know without a shadow of a doubt that my mother and father loved me, my stepfather loved me. I understand all those things and in, in a great degree I think a lot of times some of them thought I'd be better off without this kid. And I know many times I thought I'd be better off without these parents. But whether you like it or not, those attitudes are fostered. They're fostered. Amen. Well, now that everybody's got bumps and bruises, let's move on. Verse number 21, folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh upright. What a statement that is there in verse 21. Folly is joy. I just want to forget the rest of the verse for just a minute. Folly is joy. 
Now, you and I both know as Christians, as people who are trying to follow the Lord and trying to be in God's will, we know that folly is not joy. But I want you to see that that's the concept of a foolish man. Folly is joy. Having a good time equals joy. Laughing is joy. When the Bible says, in fact, that it's better to go to the house of mirth than it is, or it's better to go to the house of mourning than it is to go to the house of laughter, the house of mirth. It's, he says it's better. Doesn't make any sense to a foolish man like me. Doesn't make any. You'd much rather go see the comedy show than go to a funeral. But the Bible says the wise man goes to the house of sorrow, to the funeral parlor, or to a place like that. He says that man will lay it to heart. He'll learn from what he just experienced. And he said in this case, though, he says folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom. Folly. Just a good time. Well, we need a break from that. You don't need a break. I, I mean, I, I like a break as much as you do, but I don't need a break. You don't need a break. I can see the most disciplined and productive time in my life, the time of the most growth in my life, was also the time of the most discipline. Where I, the, the less control I had, the more growth that I had. The less control I had, the more strength I obtained. The less control I had, the more obstacles that I could overcome. That's regimen. But we don't like regimen. We like folly. <laughs> That's just the way that it is. For me, it was the Marine Corps. I don't know what it was for you, but the time when I thought it was bad being raised up. And there was some similarities between my mother's administration and my drill instructor's administration. There were some similarities there, but there's no question about it. Every minute of my day was micromanaged while I was in uh, while I was in boot camp, and it was the time of the most progress. It wasn't much fun, but I'm talking about advancement. I'm talking about uh, lessons learned. I'm talking about uh, obstacles overcome. It was when somebody else had the control, not myself. And folly, if you wanted to sum it up in a in a grand definition, it would be just chaos, lack of control, nothing's, uh, just take things as they are with the best, take things as they are with the best outlook possible, every, laugh at everything, and everything be a good time. That's what the Bible says, uh, a man that thinks that way is destitute of wisdom. But a man of understanding walketh uprightly. Uh, upright gives you the indication of rules, regulations, uh, legalistic, I know Christians don't like that term terminology. Legalist, a legalist is somebody that believes you get saved by works. Now, you're not going to heaven by works. But let me make an unusual statement for a Baptist preacher. In this life, you'll be saved by works. Just stop working, stop doing anything, and see how much salvation comes in your life. Now, really, it's the context. If you read the Bible, the context of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling is not salvation of your soul. It's salvation from situations. Jesus Christ humbled himself to the will of the Father, and his obedience worked out his salvation. Paul submitted himself to God and submitted himself to the will of God and did things the way God told him to do it, and it worked out to his salvation. That's chapter 1 and chapter 2. When you get to that place where he says, work out your own salvation, what he's saying is, 
I worked out mine, Jesus worked out his, you work out yours. And that's the, that's the way that the passage runs through that, through that whole section of the scripture there. So but that's just the way it is. And in this life, you're going to be working out your salvation. I hate to use such a simple illustration, but if you've got a leaky faucet, you need to be saved from that. <clears throat> and you, you can have all the faith that you want to, but that thing's going to keep leaking. You know, well, just stop leaking. It's a miracle. No, they turned your water off down at the city, down at the city warehouse is what they did. If it stopped leaking on its own, <laughs> amen. <laughs> I don't know if you shoved a half gallon of chili beans down the sink and stopped it up, but when you get things, <laughs> all things being equal, that thing's going to leak on you. Amen. If you, you say what? Work out your salvation. That's that's the that's the uh, that's the crux of the matter right there. And he says, folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh upright. He does the right thing. And you can take, and I've said this in several different ways since we've been in Proverbs, but you could go back from the beginning of Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 31 and you can rightly say that the summary of the book of Proverbs is work out your own salvation with fear fear is the beginning of wisdom that's where you learn that the book of Proverbs work out your own salvation with fear and trembling has nothing to do with being born again it has something to do with being delivered from your condition I hate words like the human condition and all that I, I hate the word human as it is but you've got it. Whether I like the psychological terminology or not, you've got it. Adam's nature, man's nature, human nature, either way you want to say it, that condition you've got, you need to be saved from it. And the works will do it for you, walking uprightly, doing the right thing. Uh, modern day Baptist preachers notwithstanding. Amen. All these preachers run around shooting their own. Half of us need to be shot. Amen. I've heard that so many times in the last five years, but you know, I, I never heard it growing up. You say, what's the difference? I don't know. They put on a camp meeting, a thousand people show up back in the day. The same, the same building, the same facility, the same, uh, the same congregations for, uh, for all practical purposes. Some of them have died and went on to glory now, but for the practical purpose, it's the same buildings the same congregations, the same financial situations, and now buildings that they used to put a thousand in for camp meeting, they, they don't even need that building anymore because they only got a couple hundred people show up. You say, what's the difference? Back in the day, they were preaching, repent of your sins, get right with God, do the right thing, get saved, all of these all of the above, they were preaching. Now they're preaching about, well, we ought not shoot our own. Half of you need to be shot. That's just the crust of the matter, amen. You ain't worth wasting the bullet on. You ain't worth shooting. Amen. And folks used to realize that. They got that from preaching the Word of God. You can't get through two or three chapters of the book of Proverbs without saying, man, we're in a mess. Well, you, people used to realize that and try to turn from their wicked ways and that's what that's what that produces the fruit that's why Jesus died on the cross that has to be effective in some way shape or form wouldn't you think but be nice to people and you'll fill up the building no you fill up you'd be nice to people they'll take advantage of it 
Amen. Well, let's move on. Man of understanding walketh uprightly, it says. Verse number two. And what's wrong with that anyway? I don't see nothing wrong with walking uprightly, doing the right thing. Just do the right thing. Amen. Well, we don't go by the law. What's wrong with the law anyway? What is it you got against the law? Paul said we established the law. It didn't say we get rid of it or curse it out or call somebody a legalist because they... He said, well, there's no use for the ceremonial law for the church. We understand that. Nobody's trying to have you, uh, you know, show up to the temple or cut a sheep's throat or nothing like that. We're not trying to get you to do anything like that. But you could quit lying. People could quit chasing their neighbor's wives. What's wrong with that? You want to do it, that's what's wrong with it. That's what, oh, you legalist preachers. Well, it just depends on which perspective. You're trying to get away with something or you're trying to get closer to God. When, when the question in Christianity becomes what can I get away with or what can I do, you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong, I mean, I don't mean physical location. I'm talking about you're in the wrong outfit when the question of a Christian is what can I do, what can I get by with. Does that make sense to anybody but me? This We're saved from our sins. From them. If you come from California or if you come from Texas, it don't mean you in, you in Texas anymore. It means you come from it. <laughs> We're saved from our sins. I hope that's logical. Amen. Current temptations notwithstanding. Everybody has temptations, but... What are you aiming at? Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. The New Testament says it this way. It says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And that's a vocation that all of us are called. Called to be saints. That is a vocation. By the way, it's a full-time job. Verse 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. I looked at that word long and hard there, disappointed. You know, you get an appointment. We talk about predestination for a Christian. That's an appointment. It's predetermined appointment. But he says, uh, without counsel's purposes are disappointed. In other words, it takes away uh, established appointments. It takes away established uh, a meeting place. You, if you're a Christian, you've got victory. And in your life, you're, you have appointments that are made up in your life. God has those appointments for you. The ultimate one is, as I said before, the ultimate one is predestination. You're, you're predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. Well, if you got saved yesterday, God has an appointment for you today and an appointment for you tomorrow. And those things... Well, you have you can make a sermon out of it. You have an appointment with peace. Paul starts all of his epistles with grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Multiplied means you're going to get another dose here in a few minutes. Amen. If you multiply something, it means you're going to get more and more of it. Well, the Bible says here, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. That means they're taken off the list. Tim Green preached a sermon here once upon a time. We had him in for revival, and he talked about rewards that Christians won't get. And I, I think 
for the most part, it was a hypothetical situation. I don't know that God will do that. I don't know that God will waste time making something for you that you ain't going to get. Uh, I do believe God is a God of foreknowledge. I believe He don't do very many things in vain. But he talked about a room with crowns on it that had people's names on it that come short of earning them. In other words, God made it for them, but they didn't earn it. Well, those, in a sense, is what I'm, that kind of a thing is what I'm trying to illustrate. God has some things for you. Forget the gold and the jewels of crowns for just a second and just think about the joy that God has for you, the peace that God has for you, the understanding that God has for you. Think about those things, the fruits of a Christian life. Think about those things that God has for you. You're not going to get them all overnight. Most of them are obtained by means. In other words, there's something that you have to do to get them, which is also a point of legalism for most Baptists. But we just covered that, so no need to go over that again. God has these things for you, and a Christian can lose his joy. A Christian can be established. Paul said, I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end, not the beginning, to the end you may be established. Well, establishment for the Christian is an appointment. And a man that doesn't walk with counsel, well, I ain't going to follow no man. Well, you're an idiot. You say, why? Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. They could be your purposes. They could be God's purposes. Amen? But their purpose is nonetheless. If God has joy for you, and you live in an in a, uh, unwise or a wicked way, you're going to miss that joy, even though it's there for you. It's, you say, how is it there for me? Well, you get on the road to that appointment. And you make that appointment, amen, by the means that God has laid out in the Scripture. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. The appointment's taken off the list. Have you ever called up the doctor and said, hey, I can't make, I've got an appointment next Wednesday at 8 o'clock. I can't make it. Anybody ever canceled an appointment like that? I have. I'm sure you have as well for one reason or another. That's a disappointment. Amen. Uh, we use disappointment, I think, strictly this way. I don't, I don't know everybody's heart and mind and how much intelligence or forethought that you've got. don't really care about none of that stuff. But most people just use the word disappointment to mean I had some grand hope of some folly, verse 21, and I didn't get to do it, and therefore I'm disappointed. I wanted to go ride the roller coasters tomorrow, but I've got a babysit instead. I'm disappointed. It's usually connected with folly. I wanted to marry that girl, or some girl might say, I wanted to marry that boy, but I didn't get to do that. They went off with somebody else, and now I'm disappointed. Usually it has something to do with folly. Folly is joy. Remember what we read up there in the verse? Folly is joy. They miss that joy. They miss that folly. Disappointed. Means a great deal more than that, as you see from the scripture. Amen? I know it's Sunday school, but you don't have to go to sleep. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Not only should you follow a man, you should follow a couple of men. A multitude of counselors. Amen. I won't labor that point. I know Baptists get heard over that kind of talk right there. Verse 23, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. 
There's a joy. There's a way. Well, there's one way of obtaining joy. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Now, in the realm of right things and good things, you can look at it from that point. A word spoken in due season, how good it is. You might need a rebuke. If you needed a rebuke and you got a rebuke, and that rebuke had its, had its work in your life, and took hold and, and had good effect, that'd be, that would be a source of joy. If you were downhearted and somebody spoke a word of encouragement, that'd be due season. That'd be a word spoken in due season. That would bring joy. Amen? A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And so it's not, it's not specifically talking about somebody else's words, but your own words. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good it is. So the verse covers what other people are saying, and it covers what you yourself are saying. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. Have you ever got in an argument with somebody and felt worse afterward than you did before? Yeah, yeah you, you definitely got the best end of that. I really told them, why are you still upset? I mean, there have been times when I will tell you that, uh, not, not, not very many times whatsoever, but there's been a time or two I've told Ruth off. I told her how it was. This is the way it is. And somehow I didn't feel very good afterwards. You say, why? <laughs> because a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. Some fella smart off in the line down at the A&W cafeteria. Hey, shut your mouth. <laughs> Well, you think that you, I really told him the way it is, but you don't feel right and good at it. You say, what is that? That's the absence of joy. Uh, joy and satisfaction, hard to separate those things. If you really need a, a hard definition of what joy is, not, pe people don't spend too much time talking about joy because they don't know what it is. <laughs> Amen? You don't hear much preaching about joy from preachers because, frankly, a lot of preachers don't know what it is. They don't have any. They're too bitter because somebody preached against their little sin. <laughs> you can preach against my sin all you want to. I might even decide to keep on doing it. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it, amen. Most people are upset because they don't have joy. Amen. Joy don't come from sinlessness, by the way. See, a lot of people assume that if that preacher will quit meddling my business and I'm not reminded of what I'm doing every week, then I'll have some semblance of joy. It don't work that way. The best way to do it is throw up your hands and say, Oh, I'm a terrible wretch. God forgive me for my sins. Admission. That, that's where you get, you say, why? Because it's the answer of your mouth. Hey, you ought to stop doing this. Well, you can't tell me what to do. Well, don't expect no joy. That's not a joy. It's not a joyful attitude. Hey, you ought to stop doing that. Yes, you're right. I ought to stop doing that. Hmm, that felt kind of nice. Well, hadn't you always, since you were a little kid, felt better after you admitted your guilt and got all? Well, I don't know if you got a whooping or you got grounded or whatever you got, but you felt better after it was out in the open. You felt relieved. Just got a whooping. I feel strangely better. 
Parents, can I tell you how to make your children feel better? <laughs> Take them home and give them a whooping. Make sure they know what they're getting it for, though, because afterwards they'll say, man, I got that over with. Which would you rather do, look forward to trouble or look back at it? Makes sense to me. Amen. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. That's your words and the words of others. The way of life is above to the wise, and that he may depart from hell beneath. There is a there is two roads to travel. And th- this is an old illustration, but there's a road that's above and there's a road that's below. Jesus told the people that he was preaching to, he said, I'm from above, you're from below. He said, you're from, you're from this old gutted out world. You're a child of your father, the devil. He said, I'm from above. You're from beneath. Well, I want to be from above, don't you? The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. And I'm going to take verse 25, and I'm going to look at it uh, completely in the positive side of the question, he will establish the border of the widow, the person that looks like, and especially if you look at it in the biblical context, it looks like the widow has no hope. And in the biblical context, the man inherits, and the Bible even made provision for that in the law. There were some ladies that had the question, hey, we, we don't have anybody to inherit. What about we? Don't we? And the Lord was very righteous in that and gave righteous instruction in that. But look, the, the course of man, the course of, of human events has worked it out a lot of times in the favor of the man or the firstborn. But the Bible says here, didn't say he would establish the firstborn. Although God will establish the firstborn. There is a birthright. But he says he will establish the border of the widow. The Lord looks out for those who are the most helpless. And that's what the, the issue was in the book of Acts. Widows. These elders and widows not being taken care of in the daily ministration. We need to look into that. And, and the Lord made provision for that as well. And the Lord does make provision for the helpless. You might think you're helpless, but you're not helpless. Amen. And so the, the, the correct answer is, is response. Respond to things. Don't lay down. You say, well, I'm supposed to be humble. You can be humble and still get up. There's a story in the Bible about two men with no hope. They had no hope. They were thrust out of the city, and they couldn't go in for the provision. They were, they were helpless in their situation. And there's an army out there in the wilderness and they're getting ready to surround the city and lay siege to the city. And these men say, hey, why are we sit here till we die? Well, let's get up and let's go out there. We can't get no food in here. We can't get no help in here. Here's our only option. Let's go out here. And uh, if we die, we die. And they get up and they head out on the way. They have no provision for themselves. They have no strength in and of themselves. They're nothing but two useless guys. But they decide to get up and do something as they're walking. They're walking down through the valley there to, to, uh, towards this army camp. And all they hear is their belly grumbling. And all, all they see is uh, the potential to get killed or maybe get a little handout. 
but the enemy camp down there, they hear a great army coming. No, there's no great army coming. It's just two little old sick men. But that ain't, you say, well, that's reality. It must not have been reality. When they got to the camp of the army, there was nobody there. While these two feeble little helpless men were walking towards their camp, barely making a sand, uh, barely making a sound in that Middle Eastern sand, this great invading army hears the hoofbeats of, of a great army coming towards them. God just got in the situation. You say, well, they got up and did something. They just got up and did something. God look, for, look out for widows and little old feeble men that will get up and do something. When Elijah found the widow with her son there, when the, the little old lady with her son, she said, well, we don't have much. I'm going to burn this stick and bake this bread, and then me and my son are going to die. Well, God said, I don't know about that. Make me something first, and we'll see what happens. They didn't starve. She's probably still alive over there today. <laughs> You say, I don't believe she is. You don't know. You ain't been over there. Shut up. I'm doing the preaching. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know nothing. Amen. You don't even know where uh, the book of Haggai is. Amen. You don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's the truth. You'd be surprised when you get to heaven and find out she's still down here. Uh, you know I'm being foolish, but I do know this. It's not foolish to get up and do something for the Lord. If the Lord can make two feeble men sound like an army... Or if the Lord can fill up a, a cruise of oil and let that thing just keep filling up and keep filling up and keep filling up. Or better yet, just let you sit beside a brook and send you some biscuits and, and meat a couple times a day. Amen. But he had to get up and go to get there. Get up and do something. Amen. Do something. Let the Lord show himself strong for you. Amen. Verse number... 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But he will establish the border of the widow. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the, wor but the words of the pure are pleasant words. The thoughts, we'll, we'll end right here, by the way. We'll take a little break. But he says, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. The thoughts of the wicked... Are in a so you don't have to do. You just have to think. The Lord sees what you think as well as what you do. And there is a great process that, that's involved there when, in how sin is conceived. But, you know, and I have heard people use the passage, and I'm not going to quote it to you because uh, I can't quote it to you right off the top of my head. But I've heard people use the passage that says, you know, you're, you're tempted and then you're temptations turn into uh, sin and God really isn't interested in what you're thinking about but that's not true it's not true at all the Bible says the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord your thought life is very important in how you live and how you think your thought life has a great deal of control about what you call grief or what you call depression your thought life produces a lot of that your actual life, the life you live, your actions produce a lot of that, but your thought life produces a lot of that. Matter of fact, I dare say you don't do too much without thinking about it first. When you get people in trouble, when people get in trouble, oftentimes they'll say, I just didn't think. 
And I used to think about it. I used to, when I preached or when I talked about these things, I'd say, well, you ought to think, and people don't think. But I, I take that back. People do think. You just think about the wrong things. And what most people have, you know, you could split hairs with this, I guess, and you could look at it a couple different ways. A lot of people's thoughts is just a wicked imagination. And I've told you before, I believe imagination is the God of the flesh. Whatever that imagination conjures up, your flesh tries to work out. A lot of people are not trying to work out their salvation. They're trying to work out their imagination. They begin to try to do these things they've thought about. And the world encourages, if you can think it, you can do it. Well, I wouldn't recommend it. Amen. You wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, lay in the bed till 6.30 thinking about a bunch of junk. That's the most wicked time of the day. If you wake up, get up. And then you say, why? Because a lot of that stuff you're uh, doing up in your head is not legitimate thought. It's just wicked imagination. That's what prompted the destruction in the book of Genesis is that the imagination of their heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually. I've seen times in my life when all I thought about was evil continually. And you have too. You, have, you probably still have those stages as a Christian. As a young man, as a young woman, as an older man, as an older woman. Uh, young men think about what, they do, what they're going to do and they're never going to do it. And older men sit around and regret things they thought about doing but never did. Amen. Well, I recommend you answer that call, that vocation, what worthy of the vocation we're with you're called. You're called to be saints. I recommend as a Christian you get busy with that. If there be any praise, if it's thank worthy, the Bible says, if it's pure, the Bible said, think on these things. Think on pure things. Well, you're thinking about being, being a drug dealer or thinking about being a, a sniper and uh, thinking about all this foolishness. How about thinking about being a Christian? If you're going to live in your imagination, imagine being a preacher. Or better yet, do it. More fun to do than imagine, more satisfying. But you can go back and look at verse 21. Folly is joy. An unwise man. An unwise man can get to the place where all he needs to do is think, and that's satisfying to him. That's laziness. That's verse 19. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns. Can you think of any sharper hedge of thorns than the thoughts and the imaginations that go on in your head? That, that's how dope addicts are made. That's how drunkards are made. That's how divorces are made. You say what? That hedge of thorns that's up there in your mind. Imagine, imagining this or imagining that. Just get out and do it. Get out and do something. Amen? Amen. Young men get caught in that trap. Oh, look how beautiful she is. Think about her. Think about her. Think about her. Think about her. Hey, go talk to her, you big dummy. You know what will cure all that foolish imagination you got about women? Go talk to one. Now, I'm not trying to be rude or anything like that, but I know very well how the mind of a man works. He sees this girl, she looks like a goddess. She smells like a goddess. 
She's got all the friends. She's the prettiest thing you ever seen. But if you go over there and talk to her, her breath stinks. She's got body odor. If you look through that, if you look through that makeup, she's got pimples just like you do, and she she talks with a Yankee accent. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that are wrong about her that'll cure that idea you got up in your head about her. Amen. A lot of people sit around imagining some hunk or some dreamboat girl. It just don't doesn't exist like you think it does. Amen. But see, a lot of a lot of young men sit around and think about that girl or think about that boy. I, I say not. The, hopefully, the boys are not thinking about the boys. Vice versa, I should say. And get this idea before before they even get up enough nerve to talk to a boy or talk to a girl, they're already worshiping things they ought not be worshiping before they realize that they're just people. Amen? And you'd probably be better off getting a buddy and going fishing than messing with the opposite sex to begin with. The opposite gender. Pardon me for cursing. Amen? Imagination. Mess you up, amen. The thoughts are of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. The words of the pure are pleasant words. Now, we can spend some time on that next time, perhaps, but you know what goes on in your mind and in your heart. Are they pleasant? The conversations you have, are they pleasant? The words of the words of the pure are pleasant words. If you've been fussing for three weeks straight, there's a problem. The words of the pure are pleasant words. You got a pure heart, you got a pure mind. If there's purity and you're thinking on these things, if if they're think worthy, if there's principle behind them, the Bible says think on these things. If that's what you've been thinking about, how come you've been fussing for three weeks straight? How come there's so much animosity? How, how come there's so much bitterness? How how come there's so much resentment? between husband and wife, between father and son, between mother and daughter, or mother and son, or father and daughter, or whichever way, way it works. Why? So what? You, you can't tell us what to do. I'm telling you what you ought to do. When a man's ways are pure, and when a man's way, ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. How come your wife can't be at peace with you? How come you can't be at peace with her? There's something wrong in your life. There's something wrong in your family, if that's the case. How come you can't get along with the people at work? Well, they're all sinners, and they all talk about Jesus died for sinners. He didn't do it with an angry look on his face either. Amen. Amen. Had a good conversation last week talking about preaching on the street and talking about uh, presenting a ministry to a lost and dying world. And I, I just, it's my, it's my, Firm belief that God would rather have you fuss at your brother in Christ over their faults than he would have you fuss at the people over their faults. Jesus died for their sins. I mean, you've got to convince them they're sinners. I understand that. But I'd be more apt to fuss at a Christian than fuss at a lost person that's bound in their sin, bound in their way. Amen. Well, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. I get under great conviction 
if me and my wife have a disagreement or if we're at odds about a certain subject and I'll just give you this and I'll close but I try to judge this and estimate it in my own mind I'm not a perfect man or any such thing don't claim to be but when me and my wife are having a discussion and I find myself getting angry or I find myself getting on the defensive or if I, find, I have to check myself I'm not checking her I can't read minds amen but I have to check myself why am I getting mad oh this is right or this but why get mad but we do get mad amen but Pureness, the wrath of man does not work out the righteousness of God, doesn't establish the righteousness of God. So there, there must be a better way to get things done than fussing about it. Amen? There must be. And if there's no way to do it without fussing, then something in our lives needs correcting. All we've got to do is search those things out and get it corrected. And while the whooping doesn't feel good while the whooping's going on, the joy that comes from getting that situation fixed and then having at least a hundred yards of good road ahead of us before we run into the next speed bump in our life, that little section of smooth road that comes from a pure heart and getting things right and corrected for the moment, that's, that's worth everything. It's, it's, it has to be worth more than three days without speaking to our sons or daughters. It has to be better than, I mean, taking the the, the brutality of getting things right in our own life has to be better than spending three weeks without speaking to our wives or speaking to your husbands or divorce or any of those things that the world swears by. That Oh, just get a divorce. Why not just get it right? Amen. Amen. Give that child up for adoption. Why not just get things right? Run away from home. Those parents don't have no right to tell you what to do. Why don't you get right with your parents? Amen. Amen. <laughs> hundred yards of good roads, worth it all. Amen. Smooth travels. Lord, we do thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace. What a, what a brutal book this is, the book of Proverbs. And Lord, we're, uh, I don't really think it's as brutally honest as we are been out of shape in a brutal fashion. Lord, it's us that are out of the way. Lord, the, the, these ought to be pleasant words. If, we, if our lives was right, these would be pleasant things. We could say amen and move on down the road. Now, we have to say amen and owe me at the same time because we fall short in many of these things. I myself fall short uh, in a lot of ways when it comes to the book of Proverbs, but I want to do better. I want my life to be better. I want to conform my life. The Bible says for me to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I believe with all my heart that that involves conforming to this book, conforming to the rules and regulations of life that you've set before us. And I pray, oh God, you'd help us with these things. I pray, oh God, that you would straighten us out and forgive us of our sins, but help us to get these things straightened out. And we'll thank you, God, for all that you do. Thank you for these folks that have showed up here for Sunday school. God, I pray you'd bless them for it. Not many churches this morning enjoy uh, the benefit of having their congregation show up for, for Sunday school. I thank you for it. I pray you'd bless them for it. I pray, you, I pray you'd bless the activities of the day. We'll thank you, God, for everything that you do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Amen. All right, take a little break now.